He felt a presence sidle up alongside him as the sellsword fell into step. He'd thrown a dark cloak over his leathers. His breath fogged on the crisp evening air. They didn't speak. They both knew the plan. He still wasn't sure about bringing in the boy. For his own sake, and for Lee's, there were worlds of difference between pinching pennies and the task with which they'd been charged. And even if one or all of them didn't end up dead, then that was no guarantee. For Lee, success only meant one step deeper into the gray man's web toward the oozing fangs of the halfpenny spider. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to another episode where we last left off. Lee, backed into a corner, is forced to make plans to hand Haytham over to the Jackdaw. If you missed last episode or any other, I will leave a link to the full playlist down in the episode description, so make sure to check that out there. As always, don't forget to hit like and leave a comment on the video, and if you're catching us on podcast, please leave a five-star review. I'll see you guys at the end of the episode. I'm Josh Call, and this is Last Coliseum. Ever since the hinter, Haytham always woke suddenly, like a crack of thunder. His eyes snapped open, and for half an instant his nightmare followed him. The Black Knight's ruined face gaped as he raised his greatsword high. The dead man's ghost dissolved even as his blade slashed down. He judged by the ruddy sunlight that climbed the wall and spilled across the ceiling that it was almost sunset. Good. His head throbbed as he peeled back the sweat-heavy blanket and sat up, rubbing sleep from his eyes. His cloak and old traveling clothes hung from pegs nailed to the wall. Below them, the folded stack of tunics and two pairs of breeches bound with twine were all his wealth in the world. The smell of gravy roused his hunger. Near the door, the pasties he'd brought back this morning had long since gone cold. He'd saved half his flagon of coffee for tonight's venture as well. It was meager fare, but he'd lived on less during the long trek from the west to the edge. Stone-hard oat cakes and desert vermin roasted on a skewer, innards and all. That is, when there was food at all. His body was stiff and sore, the last legacy of his glory days. But before he did anything about that, he peered through his window down the long boulevard through the afternoon haze at the Eidolon's elaborate facade. Kingmaker had tried to put him up in the silvers. Haytham insisted on staying close enough that he could still look after her. From a distance. It was a sour stone in his gut, the way things had turned between them. He'd left his door open at the inn to show her he'd done as he promised. The morning after he left, he'd taken his last sliver of winnings and sent a gift to her door. He'd never done well with apologies. With difficulty, he forced the fiddler out of his mind and retreated to the middle of the room. In the wide empty space, between the bed and the window, his still swollen eyes closed, naked as his name day, framed in a shaft of afternoon light, the brawler danced. Perhaps dance wasn't quite the right word. There was no semblance of rhythm or pattern to his movements, but it was as good as any. He flowed deliberately from one posture to the next, striking each pose with delicate precision, holding it for a moment before flowing on. Each posture had a vaguely martial quality about it, and before long the brawler's body shone with sweat in the dying light. He forgot about the ache in his body, recalling the names the monks had given to each pose they showed him under an empty sky. Forgot the hunger clawing at his belly. Forgot for those few moments as he danced the grim task for which he'd been purposed this night. 
For a while, all Haytham knew was the warm, rustic joy he'd always felt at being the master of his own body, at being able to move. When he was done, his limbs shook with exertion, and he mopped the sweat from his face with his old tunic. Daylight was flying. He fumbled in the near dark for a fire steel and scraped a thin tongue of flame onto the lantern at his bedside. The light cast long, trembly shadows across the spare room. The pasties had the taste and consistency of a block of suet. He ate them anyway, washing it down with a swig of cold, silty coffee, then a nip from the half-empty whiskey bottle on his bedside table. His eyes watered as he swished the liquor around in his mouth. He dressed quickly, drew his cloak about his shoulders, and left without locking the door. Night was coming in fast, and a thin blanket of fog swirled around his ankles as he made his way toward the gates. The breeze felt cold on his cheeks. He'd been persuaded by Kingmaker to abandon his beard after the business with White Rose. The coffee and the whiskey buzzed pleasantly in his fingertips. He felt a presence sidle up alongside him as the sellsword fell into step. He'd thrown a dark cloak over his leathers. His breath fogged on the crisp evening air. They didn't speak. They both knew the plan. He still wasn't sure about bringing in the boy, for his own sake and for Lee's. There were worlds of difference between pinching pennies and the task with which they'd been charged. And even if one or all of them didn't end up dead, and that was no guarantee. For Lee, success only meant one step deeper into the gray man's web, toward the oozing fangs of the halfpenny spider. He grit his teeth and shoved that thought to the dusty corner where he'd long ago relegated Cirrus and now Amatha. The boy's life was his own, to fritter away as he liked. Up ahead, the stone bridge loomed. The spider's man walked faster. Sitting neatly on the parapet above the roaring white, a cloaked figure threw up a hand in greeting. Springing to his feet, the boy walked nimbly along the parapet and hopped down neatly alongside the thinning column of low folk trickling out through the south gate. He drew eyes as he sauntered over from the column and the keepers. The sellsword muttered something in Kadari and spat in the river. Haytham guessed that he wasn't praising the boy's balance. Lee's grin faltered only slightly when he saw the dour expression his comrades wore. He dipped his head to the mercenary and fell in on Haytham's other side at the end of the column. Lee's own mind was buzzing. The half a tumble he'd knocked back on an empty stomach to keep his hands from shaking was doing its work. He was slightly outside himself, observing his own movements with a careful eye. He was close, hand over a candle, but he reminded himself that his deadly game would collapse if the brawler caught wind. Death was on both sides, and the path between was strung with razor wire. He hadn't left the jackdaws until almost midnight. Their plot was simple and straight and brutal. Before he went, Killam clamped a hand on his shoulder and looked him in the eye. This is it, lad, he rumbled. If you play me for a fool, I'll come to that old bitch's house and rip those boys to pieces, one by one. He pulled him in close and breathed in the thief's ear. Try me. Lee didn't doubt him. It was this thought that buoyed him every time the crimson anchor of his guilt threatened to pull him under. Do you have everything? Haytham muttered, his eyes straight ahead. Lee hiked up the leg of his breeches to bear the belt of picks and wrenches cinched around his calf. The knife, too. It was thrust through his waistband. 
He looked at the sellsword, with his many blades slung low on his hips and crisscrossing his chest. And I know how to use it. The mercenary gave him a look that was thick with contempt. What's that? We'll see how you use it, murmured the sellsword in his gentle lilt. I'm hoping you won't need to, the brawler said after they'd passed through the gate. The mercenaries eyed the Kadari with mistrust. He ignored them. Guess I should ask, where are we going? South, they both responded at the same time. Who's the target? They traded a look. Kin thieves, the sellsword growled, then spat over the brink. <laughs> Slavers, Lee grimaced. Killam's brutes were in good company then. There was a kind of irony in their plans behind plans, kin thieves ambushing the plot to ambush kin thieves. He wondered if the jackdaw had any connection to the brawler's target. What's my part? he murmured. Cut the prisoners loose, Haytham told him. Don't get killed. The thief nodded. He asked more questions, but after that the sellsword stopped responding and the brawler's answers became vague and noncommittal. By the time they reached the foot of the cliff, he'd lapsed into an uneasy silence. A few times he glanced back over his shoulder, hoping to spot the jackdaw's men among the thin stream of folk that trailed behind them. He didn't see anyone he recognized. What are you looking for? Haytham asked after the third time. Nothing, Lee lied. I've just... I've never been west of the edge before. Count yourself lucky, the brawler grunted. They followed the rogue and the low folk along the riverbank for perhaps a mile, their path illuminated by lanterns and torches before and behind them. At that point, a flagstone path carved sharply south, threading through an arched trellis that had been overrun by trumpet vines. The aged wooden sign that hung from the arch creaked its greeting. Gershad's Grove. It was another half mile to the inn. Light streamed from windows on the ground and second floors. Tucked behind the structure, the eponymous grove was an oasis amid the hardy hinter landscape. On either side of the flagstone path, a row of shrubs had withered over the long winter, as much as winter ever came this far south, and between the dead branches Lee saw a dry ditch snaking along the edge of the road, dammed by a sluice at its mouth. At the door to the little inn, the brawler paused. The place had a smell that was sweet and spicy, like warm cider. Wait for my signal. He looked at each of them in turn. Lee swallowed and nodded once. The mercenary didn't react. He pushed open the door, and the cider smell thickened. Sitting at the bar with his back to them, there was a balding man picking at his dinner. At a table near the hearth, a pair of brutes who were certainly sellswords, if they weren't bandits, were playing a spirited game of cards and trading insults in a heavy brogue that was almost its own dialect. At the creak of the door, the card game paused. The man at the bar turned and stood. He wiped his mouth, smothering his fleeting look of surprise. Friends, welcome, he announced in a way that sounded to Lee's ear a mite forced, stashing his dinner plate behind the bar. We're pleased to have you at Gershad's Grove, home of the finest ciders and apple wines this side of the trade waters. He rushed forward and wrung each of their hands in turn, Lee's last of all. You can call me Nod. Me wife Kara and I run this little plot of heaven. He swept a hand out to the taproom, which was immaculately swept save a few dusty boot prints around the card players. I pray you'll forgive the mess, but our visiting season is usually late spring through the fall. By this point in his rapid-fire monologue, he'd retreated behind the bar's batwing doors. It was on one side or the other of fifty, with pinched features turned to leather by the sun. 
Now, what can old Nod do for you? He asked, arms akimbo. Rooms for the night. Atham hadn't moved from the doorway. We're going west. The innkeeper scratched his chin. Now, normally, I don't rent rooms to travelers, he admitted. What we do here is mostly weddings. The brawler grunted and made as if to turn for the door. However, Nod said quickly, it'd be terribly cruel to send you off into the cold, what with the edge closed till morning, and the nearest village a league west. The room ain't cheap, and one of you'll have to sleep on the floor. He plunked a dark bottle on the bar top and three tumblers. But if you want it, it's yours. Haytham and Lee traded a look. The thief nodded. The sellsword and the card players, whose game lay forgotten, glared at each other like hounds with their hackles up. The thief and the brawler sat at the bar and sipped the spice apple whiskey the innkeep insisted they try. Problems with outlaws? Lee asked. Nod raised his eyebrows innocently. Your sellswords? The innkeep followed Lee's thumb to the card players, who were grumbling in their strange dialect. Oh, that... That's Orse and his brother Umber. They're hired hands. They help the wife and me with whatever needs doing. He winked. Wouldn't hurt a flea. Lee peered over his shoulder at the hired men. They were nearly identical, save one had hair that was black and curly, and the other was shaggy and flaxen. He also noticed the large, cruel-looking hatchet tipped against the blonde one's chair. A door opened somewhere behind the bar. The kitchen, Lee assumed. That'll be the wife now. Nod excused himself and disappeared into the next room. An indistinct murmur emanated from the kitchen. It sounded like an argument. I don't like him, Adam muttered, his lips scarcely moving. Nod and his wife emerged from the kitchen, both their cheeks slightly flushed. She opened her mouth to greet them. The front door opened, and the words died on her lips. There were six of them, cloaked and ugly and armed to the teeth. Lee recognized one before he pulled his hood down over his eyes. The hired men and the Kadari were up on their feet even before the last of them had filed in. The Jackdaw's men. In the middle, a dark-haired fellow swept off his hat and bowed. He would have been handsome but for his grin, half his teeth missing, the other half rotted. I got six empty bellies and six livers to poison, he announced to no one in particular. The innkeeper recovered quickly, and Lee listened as he gave the same speech verbatim that he'd made on their own arrival. His wife Kara freshened their drinks and said stiffly to Haytham, I'll go prepare your room. The color had leached from her cheeks. The floorboards creaked as she fled up the stairs. We're bound for Larkspur, the almost handsome one told Nod. The innkeeper wrung his hands. Well, you've got quite the trek yet. Larkspur, the only settlement west of the edge even approaching a city, was a three-day ride from the stair. Uh, I wish I could board you lads, but me one room was rented by no need, old man. The talker clapped a hand on the innkeep's shoulder while his men spread across a few tables. We're used to sleeping under the stars. Orson Umber had reluctantly sat down. The sellsword had his back to the wall, one hand hovering near his short sword. A bowl of whatever's in the pot and a few fingers of something strong and cheap, and we'll be on our way. Nod's smile seemed thin and forced as he scurried into the kitchen to do as he was bid. You said you'd do weddings? A good while had passed. The jackdaw's cutthroats had all been ladled, and Nod had just finished distributing a second round of tankards. Kara still hadn't come down. The innkeep nodded, his tired eyes brightening a little at the thief's question. Sure we do. In the orchard, second sons and merchants mostly, but we do a cut rate for locals. Can I see it? Haytham looked at him. Lee kept his eyes on Nod. My girl and I, we've been looking for a place to get tied. 
not enthusiastically accepted, and Lee followed him out through the kitchen. He made a beckoning gesture to the sellsword, who padded silently after them. As they passed through the kitchen, Lee counted several too many wooden bowls sitting dirty on the counter for the innkeep, his wife, and their two hired men. The mercenary tugged lightly on his sleeve as they descended the steps out back. He pointed to a pair of wooden double doors that angled under the inn. Lee frowned. He'd heard of storm cellars before. The roiling fronts of dust and debris that sometimes swept through the lowlands made them an unfortunate necessity, but he'd never heard of someone having to triple lock the cellar door. They followed Nod down the flagstone path into his quaint and evidently well-loved orchard. The ditch widened into a dry streambed which was spanned by a small but sturdy bridge. Had there been water, the stream would run over rocks beneath it into a pond, which was now little more than a shallow pit between the trees with a few inches of muddy water at the bottom. Projecting slightly into the would-be pond, he saw a pavilion festooned with more trumpet vines whose white paint was just beginning to yellow from the sun. The innkeep was rattling off another memorized speech as he pointed out the orchard's various amenities. Lee wasn't really listening. He thought about how many unions had been sworn on that pavilion, how many toasts made in the taproom, mindless of the unknowable darkness that, he guessed, lay a few feet below in the storm cellar. A shiver ran through him. We opened up the sluice a day ahead to fill out the pond, Nod was saying. He'd paused at the top of the bridge, and at this swept his hand over the muddy water. It's a little tradition of ours for guests to toss pennies into the stream and make wishes for the new couple. Can there be fish in the pond? The sellsword crossed the bridge quickly so the innkeep was between them. Nod turned to answer the thief's question, his swindler's grin faltering only slightly. Alas, no. Since there's no outlet for the pond, the fish die and start to stink. He never got further. As soon as his back was turned, the mercenary lunged, coiling one arm around his throat while the other barred its escape. Nod had barely opened his mouth for a scream when his eyes rolled back and he slumped over in his powerful arms. The sellsword's gaze was cold and flat. It chilled Lee to his bones. He heaved the limp mass that was Nod over the side of the bridge. He landed face down in the water with a wet smack. The sellsword dropped to a knee and peered between the budding branches at the inn. Light streamed from an upstairs window and the crack below the back door. He jerked his head toward the house. Come on. He pointed at the triple-locked storm cellar, not breaking his stride as he marched back up the path. Lee had to jog to keep pace. Can you get that open? The thief dropped to a knee beside the angled door and unbuckled his pick belt. Two minutes, he muttered, gritting his teeth to keep them from chattering. At the top of the steps, the back door opened. A curse. Lee looked up. One of the brothers, Orse or Umber, the blonde with the hatchet, stood framed in the doorway, his eyes bugged out. Whatever he was expecting, the sight of Lee and the self-sword crouched by the cellar with Nod nowhere to be seen took him by surprise, and the self-sword killed him for it. Lee never saw him draw, but in that split-second seizure, the mercenary bounded up the steps and ran him through. He twisted the short sword a half-turn and withdrew. Blood and bile sprayed the steps and the cellar door. The blonde man staggered drunkenly down the steps and collapsed alongside the thief. At the same time, a muffled crash and shouts from inside as some unseen hell broke loose in the taproom. The Kadari looked down at him from the doorway. There was blood on his face. Two minutes. He disappeared into the inn as Lee swallowed and wiped the sweat and flecked blood from his hands, his heart racing. He unsheathed the tools of his trade.
Thank you guys so much for listening. It really does mean the world to be able to share this story with you. We are quickly approaching the end of act one of the entire novel. It's crazy to think about. As always, if you have any suggestions for things that I can do to make this story pop more, do me a favor and leave those in a comment on the video. All right, that's it from me. I'll catch you guys next week.